Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Praise God. It's a great joy. We're having Pastor Dave Shepherd here today. And um, he's from Hills Baptist Church. Um, he's acting uh, pastor, senior pastor at the moment uh, of uh, Verdun and Allgate. Uh, and it's a joy to have him. We've had him before. He's currently at the camp. And we've heard some great news of what's happening at the youth camp. And God is really moving. And you know what? God is going to move today. I really believe that. And God's going to use him. And so give him a warm welcome as he comes up. God is going to put your seatbelts on and get ready for God's Word this morning. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor Joe. Hello, everybody. How are you all? Oh, you've got less energy than the kids did, and they slept for two hours. How are you all? Fantastic. It is so good to be here with you uh, to share God's Word. We've been having an amazing time at camp uh, and we are a little tired and a little rusty because the Lord's been moving, which means ministry runs late. And then there's something about young people which don't want to go to bed. Um, I think they were wrestling and singing at four o'clock in the morning on, on, on Saturday morning, Friday night. Uh, but God is doing an amazing thing. And I can't wait for them to share testimonies of all of his goodness with you all. Uh, why don't you stand to your feet? And we're going to pray. As we get into God's Word this morning, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Word is alive and active. We thank you, Lord, that your Word is a two-edged sword. We thank you, Father God, that your Word is a seed that will germinate and will cause a growing of uh, a tree that you call a planting of the Lord, that it becomes an oak of righteousness. And so, Lord, we pray that this word today would be that seed that goes down deep. Lord, that you would take my words and you would speak, Father, and anything that's of me would fall to the ground and all that is of you would take root and bring transformation and change. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. We honour you today in the precious name of Jesus and all the saints said, Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I want to very quickly bring you into what it is that we've been talking about, what we've been doing at camp. I felt like in preparation for this camp that the Lord just dropped a word on my heart and he said, don't feed the hungry McDonald's. The hungry need a good feed. You know what I'm talking about? When you're hungry, you don't want just a little burger from McDonald's. You don't want something fast and cheap. No, no, you want a good meal, a sit-down meal that you've got to get your knife and fork out and you've got to dive into it a little bit. And so we've, we've gone deep at camp. We haven't just done 20-minute little messages. No, we've gone deep into God's Word. And what the Lord laid on my heart is this season in time, which I'm calling two windows in time in the life of King David. Because in in the book of 1 Samuel, in the 19th chapter, when David at the age of 8 to 10 is firstly anointed by Samuel to become king, at the age of around 13 to 15, he he happens upon a giant called Goliath and kills him with a, with a sling and some stones and then takes his sword and cuts his head off and then he becomes famous and he grows in acclaim. People are singing songs about him. He, he, at the age of 18, is a general in Saul, the king's army, leading like 
incredible soldiers, much older than him, thousands of soldiers that he's in charge of. He then marries the king's daughter, Michal. Like things are going very, very well for David. And it's clear that God has him on a path towards kingship. Are you with me? But then something happens in 1 Samuel 19 where Saul, something changes. And Saul sets siege to David's house in order to kill him because he's intimidated, he's fearful, he's anxious. And what happens is we see a window. And the Bible tells us that Michal, Saul's daughter, David's wife, lets David out through a window. She risks her own life for the man that she loves that he might uh, be free. And it's this powerful moment in time. But what we see here is this, this incredible king, this famous guy. I said to the kids, he's like, David is trending in society at this moment. His face would be on the wheat bix box. There's a lot going right for him. And then all of a sudden, he has to spend the next 20 years of his life in anonymity, hiding in caves. This man who everyone was talking about and singing about is now hidden from the world. And it happens for 20 years and then... Over this period of time, you then arrive at 2 Samuel chapter 6, which is that famous passage of David ushering in the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God to Jerusalem. He's now king, and as he's there, it says that he's what? He's dancing before the Lord. And interestingly, Michal, his wife, is standing at a window, and it says that she despises David in her heart. And so for me, it begged that question of what has happened in this time frame between these two windows? Why is it that Michal has gone from risking her life to save the man she loves to now despising him in her heart? And why is it, what has God done in David in order to prepare him from being this 18-year-old boy who would, uh, from an eight-year-old boy even, who was anointed to the man who would become king and usher in the presence of God to the people of God? What is it that God has done? Why has God allowed 20 years of hiddenness? Why has God allowed 20 years of suffering, 20 years of difficulty, 20 years of trial? Why has God allowed this great man to go through this? And could it be because it's in the trial that God is preparing us for our purpose? And so this is what we've looked at. We've dived into different events. We've, we've seen that uh, David has run to Samuel, run to the prophet, run to Ramah, where he, he sought a word from God. And then he runs from the prophet to the prince, to Jonathan, where he seeks wisdom. And Jonathan gives him the wisdom to wait upon the Lord. And this morning, friends, with that said, we want to dive into 1 Samuel in the 21st chapter. We realize that he's gone from the prophet to the prince, and now he goes to the priests. Is that good? There's, there's like three hours worth of work summarized in 10 minutes for you. So with that said, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 21. Verse 1 says this. David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech trembled, everyone say trembled, when he met him. And asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. Jump down to verse seven. Now, one of Saul's servants was there at the tabernacle that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg, 
the Edomite. Everyone say Doeg. I want to put a phrase in your heads, and that phrase is dirty Doeg. (laughs) Dirty, dirty Doeg. Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. I want to preach to you this morning on the topic of dealing with Doeg, finding peace in anxious times. You know, we live in anxious times. And when I'm talking about Doeg, I'm not talking about, you know, some of you are like, I've dealt with Doeg, I understand dough and egg, we make pasta three times a week, we're not talking about that, we're talking about a man who represents a situation, who represents uh, a state of mind. Dealing with Doeg. You see, David uh, has fled from Jonathan, he's on the run, his world has been flipped upside down, he thought he was going to become king, everything has turned, he is anxious, he is stressed, he is fearful and he is fretting and so he runs after going to the prophet, after going to the prince, he now runs to the priest and as he runs to the priest he's looking for something in which he can put his hope. He realizes that his season in the palace is over and he needs to flee. And so he runs to Ahimelech and he's looking for something. He's looking for supply. He's looking for food and he's looking for a weapon. He's looking for something that he can put his hope in. And so he runs there. And the really interesting thing is as he runs there, he would probably come with the mindset that he had when he ran to Samuel and when he ran to Jonathan. And if you'd heard the previous two messages or you read those passages, what you'd realize is with both of those people, David comes and he pours out his heart. Says he told Samuel everything that Saul had done. It tells, he says that he told Jonathan everything that his father had done. He's coming to the priest with a particular plan to pour out his heart to the priest. But something happens when he gets there because he's not alone. He wants to tell the priest what's going on and there's Ahimelech and there's 85 other priests and there's David and as he walks into the sanctuary, he walks into the house of God to seek a supply and and seek a weapon and get counsel from God and he looks over to his right and who's there? Dirty Doig. Friends, have have you ever been in conflict with someone? Some of you already know where I'm going. I can see the smiles on your faces. You ever been in conflict with someone and you think you're going to a safe place? You rock up to a party, you rock up to someone's house, you rock up to church and you think they're going to the other service and you walk in the door and the very person that you are in conflict with is standing right there. You ever been there? What happens to you? You start sweating from places you didn't know could sweat. You are stressed, you're anxious, your heart rate goes up, you think, oh my goodness, what's going on? Friends, David's come to what he thought was a safe place and the servant of the man who seeks his life is right there in that moment. And he becomes so fretful, he becomes so anxious, like stress and fear becomes the predominant driver of every decision he's going to make for the next little bit. And I want to show you a couple of things. We're going to see what happens when we are driven by fear. 
And we're going to realize that fear is the thing that binds us up. Fear is something, if we are being driven by fear, if we are being controlled by fear, it's going, to, it's going to impact our life in a negative way. But God has come to set us free. God has come that we would not walk in fear, but we would walk by faith. And as we walk by faith, we would be free from the fear that's, that comes to, uh, to, to cause us to be captive. And the first thing you're going to see in the life of David is that when we are driven by fear, it will cause us to conceal what we should reveal. Fear will cause us to conceal what we should reveal. You see, David comes to Ahimelech and he wants to pour it out. But when he, when he sees Doeg and he start, he's overcome with this, this oppressive feeling, instead of pouring out the truth, what does he do? He flat out lies. Watch this. So verse, remember verse 2. So he said, the, David answered Ahimelech. Like Ahimelech says, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And instead of saying the truth, David says, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about it. That's just a flat out lie. That's not true at all. Why has he spoken a lie? Because he's afraid. Because his actions are being driven by fear. Because he's thinking, man, if I tell Ahimelech the truth, Doeg's right here, and dirty Doeg is going to go back to Saul, and who knows what could happen. And instead of acting uh, smart, he acts dumb. You know, he starts, he, he hides the truth. And here's the crazy thing, because he hides the truth later on in this passage, we're going to see that, that that causes so much trouble for him later on. It causes Ahimelech and 85 other priests to be murdered, all because David chose to conceal that which he should have revealed. And when we're being driven by the Spirit, when we're being driven by the, the Spirit of God, we will actually speak the truth because we know that the truth will do what? set us free. You see, when we're driven by fear, actually what we need to do instead of concealing something is we need to reveal the truth, we need to proclaim the truth, and then God can work. And then you're going to experience breakthrough. Then you're going to experience liberty and freedom from that which is coming against you. And here's the truth. Doeg's by himself. David is a general of the army of Saul and he is 85 priests. If in that moment David speaks the truth and Doeg acts up, I think David has him covered. But he's driven by fear, so he conceals what he should reveal. Let's carry on. As he goes on, here's the second thing we see. David travels along and he says in concealing all of this stuff from Ahimelech and acting in fear, we get to verse 7 and he's basically seeking a weapon. Don't you have a spear or sword here? Do you know, Bible readers in this place would know that David knew exactly where the sword of Goliath was. Because after David killed Goliath, the Bible tells us that he took Goliath's sword after cutting Goliath's head off and he took it to his own tent. Now, the culturally appropriate thing to do when you win a great victory for your king and you take the spoils from that victory and Goliath's sword is the greatest weapon on earth, there's none like it. When you take that spoil, the thing that you're supposed to do is you're supposed to dedicate that to the king as an act of honour. What did David do? He took it to his tent. Is that selfish? Is it prideful? 
Or is there another thing going on here? Here's what I want you to understand. David, in this moment, as a young man, 13 to 15 years old, takes the sword of Goliath and instead of giving it to Saul, he gives it to the king of kings. He comes and he takes it to the tabernacle, to Ahimelech, the priest at the town of Nob, where the tabernacle is set up. And he devotes his sword because he knows that it was the Lord who brought about the great victory. And he knows that that sword needs to be devoted to the true king, the king of heaven. And so he takes it and he dedicates it to the Lord. And Ahimelech stores it at the tabernacle. So when David's running to Ahimelech, he knows what he's coming to get. He's looking for a weapon. He's looking for something to put his hope in. He's like, is there not a sword or a spear? Knowing full well that that's exactly where Goliath's sword is. And he's coming to put his hope in something because he's like, I need something to trust in. And if I'm going to be on my own and be pursued, I need the mightiest weapon on earth. But what we're going to see is that the weapon God gives him is not the weapon that he thought he wanted. That the weapon of, the weapon of Goliath is not the weapon he needs in this moment. So he takes the sword and he leaves Ahimelech's presence. And where does he go? Gath. Come on, somebody. If you're going to take the sword of Goliath anywhere, you wouldn't take it to Gath. Where did Goliath come from? Gath. When you're driven by fear, you do dumb things. This is like, David's got the sword. He's like, I'm so scared of Saul. I'm so scared of Doeg. What am I going to do now? I know what I'll do. I'll run to Gath. I'll take the very sword of the giant, the, the, the hero of Gath, who I killed and finished off with this sword, and I'll just run straight to Gath. And this is what we do so often when we're driven by fear, when we're driven by anxiety, when life is tough and everything's coming against us. So often we seek refuge in the courts of the place that has held us captive. We run to Gath when Gath has been seeking to destroy us. We run to that which would seek to tear us down. Over and over and over again, we go to Gath. And this is what David does. He makes a terrible decision and he runs to Gath with the sword of Goliath. And when he gets there, he thinks to himself, uh-oh, what have I done? Why the heck have I run to Gath? And here's what I love about this passage. This is a prophetic word that speaks to you and me. When we make bad choices, even in our stupidest moments, when we run to Gath, the grace of God meets us right where we're at. The mercy of God meets us right where we're at. And in this moment, the sovereignty of God gives David the wisdom to pretend to be insane. The Bible says that as David got to Gath, he realized, I've made a bad decision. And so he pretends to be insane. He scratches at the door. He lets drool flow down his beard. And the king of Gath, instead of cutting off David's head and instead of removing him, from a threat to his nation. He's like, man, I don't need any more maniacs. <laughs> That's the literal Hebrew word. I don't need any more maniacs. That says something about what's going on in Gath, just quietly. I don't need any more of these, these people in my life. He's like, just get rid of him. And so the, the grace of the mercy of God meets David, even when he's made a poor decision, God meets him where he's at because God's promises are firm and true. 
And when God has set something upon your life and is preparing you for purpose, through many dangers, toils and snares, he will bring you along. I wonder if there's any saints in this place who have been through some seasons of gaff. And God has been faithful. And you have a testimony that he's brought you through some bad decisions and bad choices, but his mercy's met you in your time of need. Amen? So David runs to Gath. He pretends to be insane. And then he comes out of Gath. And as he comes out of Gath, he's still driven by fear and anxiety. And we arrive at 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 to 2. It says this, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Everyone say Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. David leaves Gaths and he runs to a cave. And as he runs to a cave, what is he seeking? Refuge, peace, hope, still driven by fear. How do we know he's driven by fear? Would you know the amazing thing about the Bible, especially reading the life of David, is in the life of David, in 1st, 2nd Samuel, we have the history. In the Psalms, we have the heart. Because David, throughout this time, is writing Psalms. And at this exact moment, go to Psalm 142. Because at this exact moment in time, David writes a psalm. This is the psalm that he writes when he's in the cave of Adullam. This is what he says. This is amazing. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. This is David's headspace. This is where David is at in the cave of Adullam. No one is here. No one is with me. I'm all alone. I'm completely isolated. But again, that's not true. Because the Bible tells us that how many people are with him? 400. He's surrounded by 400 people who have gathered around him. But this is what happens when we're driven by fear. Even when we're surrounded, we feel completely isolated. You can be in a crowded room and no one, you feel like no one else is there. And so David's in a cave and he feels completely isolated because he looks around and he's like, well, none of these people care for me. They're all trying to get something from me. None of these people have got anything to support and help me. The Bible says they're downhearted, they're in debt and they're discontented. What a motley crew. He's probably sitting there thinking, fantastic. Now I've got to deal with these people as well. How the heck am I going to go against Saul with this mob? But isn't it amazing how these 400 people become the key 400 people who take him from the cave to the crown? Don't despise the day of small beginnings. You know how the church started? started with fishermen, with tax collectors, with people who were grumpy and angry and emotional. It started with a motley crew, but never underestimate what God can do with a motley crew. And you might be sitting here right now and you might be saying, God can't use me. God can't use my family. My life is in a mess. I've got nothing to offer. I'm disheartened. I'm in debt and I'm 
discontented, guess what? God has a plan for your life. Guess what? God wants to move on your life. God is calling you up and out and he's saying, get out of that place and come and step out in purpose because I am going to move. And you never know what I can do with a broken vessel. In fact, God prefers a broken vessel because the broken vessel is the means by which his glory is revealed. He's not impressed by our strength. He longs for our weakness. He says, I've got you. And so David has these 400 motley crew members that gather around him. He feels alone. He's still living in stress and in fear. And he's wondering what he should do next. And then he gets a word. And the word comes to him from a prophet, Gad. And the prophet comes and says something phenomenal. The prophet says, David, it's time to leave this place and go down to Judah. Verse 5, the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. Something is about to shift in David's life. He has been living by fear. He's been living in anxiety. He's been driven by his circumstances. He's been reactive, not proactive, living in this place. And the prophet comes to him with a word and says, leave the stronghold, leave the cave, stop running to the place of your strength, where your wisdom, where you think you're going to be safe and go back to the land of Judah. I wish I had a Bible reader in this place. Who knows what Judah means? Praise. He says, go to the place of praise. You see, the sword of Goliath, though it is a mighty earthen weapon, is not the weapon in which you should place your hope. Because the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for the tearing down of strongholds. And it is not sword and it is not spear, but it is the Spirit of God at work in a man and a woman. And God is saying, I've given you a greater weapon and I want you to rely on that weapon. And the weapon is praise. And I want you to leave that stronghold and I want you to run to the place of praise. Come on, I thought this was a Pentecostal church. And watch this. This is going to blow your minds, friends. David writes another psalm. He goes to the place of praise. Psalm 52. This is what he writes. He's speaking of Doeg. As he speaks of Doeg, he says, Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are disgraced in the eyes of God? Why is he writing this? Because the scene has shifted in the history and Doeg, Saul has been uh, under a tamarisk tree, it says, with a spear in his hand. We know what happens when Saul's got a spear in his hand. He's on a mission to kill some stuff and he finds out that David's been with Ahimelech. And so he sends for Ahimelech. Ahimelech comes to Saul completely innocent because he doesn't know what's going on because David concealed what he should have revealed. And if David had told him the truth, Ahimelech would have known and been able to make a good choice. So he comes along and Saul orders his men to kill the priest. And none of them want to do it. None of them want to touch him except for Doeg. Dirty Doeg. And dirty Doeg says, I'll do it. And he slaughters Ahimelech. He slaughters all of the priests and not enough. He goes into the whole town of Nob and he kills everyone. And he kills men, women, children, animals. He puts the whole city to the slaughter. And a couple of verses ago, how would David have responded? When David was in the cave of Adullam, how would he have responded? 
he would have responded in fear and fret. But watch this, Psalm 52, he's starting to, why do you boast of evil? You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. And then he goes on, surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Here now is a man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth, who grew strong by destroying others. Listen to this. But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. What? This man who was stressed and disheartened and, you know, worried out of his mind, something shifted. Now I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. Next time someone asks you how you are, try that out for size. I'm going, well, no, I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of the Lord. (laughs) What does that smack of? Is that fearful talk? That is peaceful talk. Go back to the story. Go back to the history. You see, in the history, we see this. At the end of chapter 22, one of the priests escapes. And from verse 21, he told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, that's the priest who escaped, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul. I am responsible for the death of your whole family. There's a leadership lesson for anyone who's in leadership. Take responsibility for your actions. Don't pass the buck. Don't squirm out of it. Wear it. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. Hang on. This guy was so afraid that he lied to the priest on account of Doeg. In the space of two chapters, he's now speaking to someone saying, don't be afraid, but his situation has got worse, not better. How can he no longer be living in fear? Because he went to Judah. Come on, somebody. Because he went to Judah. Because instead of trusting in the sword of Goliath, he chose to trust in the sword of the Spirit. He chose to pick up the weapon of his warfare. He chose to pick up a different weapon from the weapon of the world. He went to Judah. He went to the place of praise. And as he goes to the place of praise, it shifts his perspective. And band, you can come up. You see, when we learn to go to the place of praise, fear begins to subside. When we go to the place of praise, it has a way of advancing against the gates of hell because it will shift our perspective. And instead of looking at Doeg, the dirty Edomite, and all that he is doing, we start to look at Christ, the glorious King of heaven, and all that he has done. And you begin to realize that this might come against me in my time of trial, that my life might be hiding in a cave. My life might be at risk. My life might be in pieces all over the place. But there is a God in heaven who cares for me. There is a God in heaven who has a word for me. There is a God in heaven who has a purpose for my life. And everything that I am going through, he is slowly just chiseling away the dross. He is slowly preparing me for that which he has called me and anointed me. And the day is coming when I will walk in the appointment of that anointing And I need to learn to pick up praise in the face of my enemies. That we would be a people of praise. 
that we would be a people of praise, that we would understand the greatest weapon the church has been given is a shout. A shout made the walls of Jericho fall down. I wonder if there's anyone here who needs to let out a shout this morning. Amen. Is there anyone here who needs to let out a shout? Because that's what we're going to do. I don't know where your life is at. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what situation you're in. Maybe you feel like you're in gaff. You've made some silly choices. Can I tell you the mercy of God is here for you this morning? Maybe you're hiding in the cave of Adullam, relying on your own strength to get through your circumstance. Can I tell you that cave becomes a prison? Get out of the cave. Get out of Adullam. Come to Judah. Come to the place of praise. Come to that place of worship and reverence and awe. Pick up the sword and swing it around and know that no weapon formed against you will prosper. If God is for you, who can be against you? It might be 19 years in the wilderness, but God will get you to where he promised you. So why don't you stand to your feet, church? And we're going to worship our great God. And we're going to lift up a shout of praise. And as we lift up the shout of praise, if you're in this place and you need some breakthrough and some victory, I want to encourage you just to picture yourself pulling out that sword. And you start swinging. If you want to come down, we'd love to pray with some people. Can we get a prayer team down here ready to go? I don't know where your life is at or what you're going through, but we just, I just feel to, to encourage some people this morning to pray for some people this morning that you would come to Judah. Come to Judah. Come to Judah. Let's worship our great God. The front is open for all who would come for prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.